This is Recognize, a podcast about the NHL's black and biracial hockey heroes, proudly supported by eBay Canada. Ever since I was a kid, I collected hockey cards with spare change my dad gave me. As a black person, to see others like me on the ice inspired me. They were my role models and showed me hockey is a game for everyone. I've collected 100 rookie cards for NHL's black and biracial players, and I'm going to talk to all of them so you can learn their stories. Claudeville Grain was born in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, and moved to Quebec City when he was very young. He played in 89 National Hockey League games with Vancouver Canucks, New Jersey Devils, and the Philadelphia Flyers. Hi, Claude. Uh, thanks for being on the podcast. Um, I know you are um, Canadian, but I also understand you were the first Haitian-born player to play in the NHL. Is that correct? Well, yeah. I read that a few times. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I know your your NHL career um, was uh, spanned a few years, uh, and the point total you had was quite impressive. I know you were a scorer, and I, I researched that you had um, 53 points in 89 NHL games and a long uh, career after that uh, playing uh, pro hockey and also in Europe. So we'll get into that later. And uh, to, to me, those are amazing numbers, and you should be really be uh, be recognized for uh, for that uh, production. Um, but we always start out the show asking you um, to take a look at your uh, hockey card. This is a rookie card, yeah. And uh, just asking you, Sora, what comes to mind when you see that rookie card? I I know that your first team, if I'm correct, was Vancouver, mm -hmm. but this was a rookie card for New Jersey. So, what comes to mind when you see that card? Well, I signed. Uh... I was drafted by Detroit, and and that didn't work out because I never got to go there. And uh, I always remember that day. Um, Utica was a farm team, so I, I, I was at camp, and I thought I had a great camp. And I remember Lou Lamarillo coming to me and say, uh, "Claude, uh, be patient, be patient." That was two days before uh, uh, before I got sent down. So finally, I got sent down to the minors. I was I was devastated because. Uh, I had a great camp and I was doing well, but that was uh, uh, number games, uh, you know, too many guys on one-way contracts and stuff like that. So, so the next day I'm in Utica, New York, a farm team, and then I get undressed and I look at my mail slot there, and there's an envelope from somebody. So, so I open. Usually, you get letters to sign, little you know, piece of paper and stuff like that. And I opened it, and that was the hockey card. And they were they started that was the year they started to do the cards again. And I, uh, you, I stuff to explain how I felt, but I didn't care. <laughs> so it's almost like I arrived. I got my own hockey card. I grew up collecting hockey cards, and all of a sudden there's one with myself and my stats, and and I wasn't thinking about being sent down to the minors. Thanks for sharing that. We're we're going to get into some other things as well because our listeners should know that you also uh, played on the Canadian Olympic team, which is a uh, another amazing feat. But let's uh, get back to the cards. 
you said you were a card collector. So um, do you, what are your memories of collecting cards you can share with us? Well, it's not like I'm a collector collector, but you know, when you're younger, you, you used to collect the cards and I was always trying to get the Montreal Canadiens cards. The Gila Fleur was my idol at the time. And then, and then, yeah, so we, uh, I remember exchanging cards and the cards I didn't like, I put them on the spoke of my bicycle wheel. So yeah, that's my memories of those. Common experience for many people. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's go back to your first experiences playing um, hockey, I believe in the 60s and 70s. And maybe you can tell us where you grew up and what was it like growing up in the Belgrade household? Well, um, uh, I was born in Haiti and I grew up in Quebec City. Um, uh, hockey, no, hockey wasn't part of our family's uh, makeup. Um, I always tell that story uh, uh, when I turned eight. Uh, I had a, a birthday party in my house, and then one of my uncles bought me a tabletop hockey game. So, so we said, you know, the two teams were Montreal and Toronto, I think, and we spent the whole night, the whole day playing um, uh, the, uh, that game. And then, uh, in um, when everybody left, I sat down and there was Hockey Night in Canada and I was watching Montreal against Chicago. And I didn't realize that Montreal was uh, at the team, it was the team with a CH. I thought Montreal was Chicago because it was a CH on the jersey. So I was cheering for Chicago, thinking they were Montreal. And I watched the rest of that game and then I, I, I was hooked after playing that tabletop. And, I told my parents I want to play hockey the next year, and then next next winter comes along, and and then uh, I, that's how I started to play. Yeah, and I I had one of those table talk hockey games as well, so I can relate with uh, trying to keep it on the table and keep things balanced with the uh, with the black puck. But it did it did did lend itself to the imagination of playing the game, which was uh, which was neat. So you. Uh, you said eight years old. So when did you first start skating and how did you learn to skate and who supported you? Well, that was, that was that first, um, well, I was, uh, my birthday was in March. So the next, uh, the next winter, basically back in the days, we, in our town, we didn't have an indoor rink. So everything was outside. And then I just registered and I had a couple of cousins that, uh, was trying to give me some tips. So uh, I got to the rink and then uh, for tryouts in the game and uh, people told my my mom and my dad that, hey, uh, your son needs shin pads and elbow pads and things like that. So so my mom went back home and then she didn't know what to do. And she found a couple of uh, Sears catalogs and I used that as shin pads and that start started. Uh, I remember uh, that first year I was, I couldn't stand on my feet and uh, and then during the summer, I played a lot of ball hockey. And by the time I was able to uh, stand on my skates, I was scoring three, four or five goals a game. So it didn't take long. It didn't take long. So um, what are some of the memories that stand out for you with that uh, playing as a young person? Did you, um, when did you realize you sort of might have had a future in the sport? Ooh, a long time. I was one of those guys that uh, when he got very competitive, I. Um, if I was making a double E team and my buddies didn't make it, so I would go down to the A level with them. I would make a triple A team. I would do the same thing. Uh, same thing. I would go down with my buddies and have fun playing with them and scoring tons of points. 
Um, I, I, I remember uh, I was a midget and uh, we had a bilingual exchange with uh, uh, Kipling Saskatchewan and then uh, my uh, my dad didn't want me to play hockey anymore after uh, uh, after midget because school was important for him and then uh, and our junior B team at the time like practiced at 11 at night and played at 10 30 and and uh, my my high school was downtown and so I uh, so I knew that was the that would have been the end of it so uh, they came to Calgary, uh, uh, the, pe the, the people from Saskatchewan, and then uh, I, uh, uh, when it was time to go for the second leg to Saskatchewan, uh, we were uh, we were playing uh, we we uh, we were playing the playoff and we upset everybody. Uh, we ended up winning the league, and then and then they told us we're going to provincials, and and that was the same time as going to uh, uh, Saskatchewan. So I had to make a decision, and then uh, our best forward, best D, best goalie, it's uh, the heck with that. I'm going to Saskatchewan, and I felt bad. Uh, I thought I would stay back, and then also that would have been my last hockey. So we, um, I went to uh, the the uh, provincial championship, first game we lost nine nothing, and I thought, oh my god, maybe I would have been better off going to Saskatchewan. So I think all the other games we won in overtime, and then finally we got in the finals against that team, and that was playing great. And and all the leaders were gone, so all of a, all of a sudden I was the leader. And then uh, we uh, we upset the team that beat us nine nothing, beat them five to two. And I remember looking in the stand, and then my dad was talking to well people ended up being scouts, and he looked annoyed because he wanted to watch me play, and then. Got drafted late, eleventh uh, round this summer. I didn't have a clue about draft or nothing. And then, and then they came down a couple of times. A, a new organization. They want to build. Uh, uh, that was the second year. They want want to build a good team. And then, and all of a sudden, I wanted to play. And then uh, that was hard with my my dad. Didn't want me to go at all, so I went. And the rest is history. So yeah. So it's. Uh... A different path you took in terms of your success, and I want to go back to the earlier mention when you were talking about the exposure to the game and your parents being, uh, you know, immigrants to the country, like many people are immigrants to the country. Was it just the fact that you were surrounded by hockey and your friends were playing, and maybe you're playing other sports, like, like that? You just felt seemed like you just fell into the game when you were eight years old. Yeah. So everybody around me. Uh... I play hockey, but again, like they they had started, they were skating at two, three, four years old. Uh, I don't remember having any uh, desire or never thought of that. So for Canadian eight, start to get a little late, but uh, but that's how that's how it happened, and then uh, started at eight, and everybody played hockey. Uh, I used to uh, I used to skate to the rink, you know, in the streets, snow, asphalt, ice, snow, asphalt, ice, and that's what I did. Uh, minus forty five with wind chill factor, and uh, I was just another Canadian loving the game. And can you situate us again? What part of Quebec you grew up in? Was well, it uh... just now? It's uh, it, it, it was a suburb, um, Quebec City, uh, Charlesport. Is the but uh, it, now everything is the same. Uh, it's the same as like Quebec City. Oh, all under Quebec City. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And then 
Um, some supporters of that time, were there any influential coaches or parents or your own parents in terms of your determination to get through these younger years? Or? Well, no, there's always uh, the, uh, the the hockey people in the community. And uh, they, uh, they were trying to uh, um, teach my parents the game and explain uh, what's happening, tournaments and fees to play, all kinds of things like that. Uh, but the funny thing, when I uh, I got uh, drafted by uh, the junior team uh, in Laval, it was Laval, and then uh, they told my dad. My dad didn't know nothing about that. And those people were coming. They came once, and my mom and my dad didn't want me to go at all. So, so my my dad was asking those people, and those people were saying, "Oh, Alex, this is a meat market. This is a meat market." And uh, when your son is done there, it'll be pumping gas and uh, you know a shell and then and uh, and besides that, uh, you people have weak ankles, so that's not a sport for you. So, and because they said the weak weak ankle thing that upset my dad a little bit. I said my dad said, well, soccer player, basketball players, they don't have problems with weak ankles. So that's my my dad ended up signing the the release, whatever. Uh, and I was able to go play. Okay. So we'll get into this a bit later in terms of opportunity to share, but um, maybe you can balance things out, um, your recollection of what you loved about hockey and what did you hate. And I, I know, unfortunately, um, many uh, Black players like yourself at a young age have faced uh, racism. Maybe you can just sort of touch on this a little bit right now in terms of your love versus things you that weren't so positive as a young person. Well, um so that's funny. I started watching when, uh, well, that 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 game I watched after in my birthday. That's the year that Montreal wants to Stanley Cup, and I watched the whole series, and I was hooked on Montreal. And then after that was the I think the '72 series, uh, that got me hooked hundred percent. So I, I was hooked. That's that was my dream being a hockey player. But throughout my um, like uh, you know, the early years, I was always one of the best player on my team. Player, uh, player on my team, and then uh, uh, sometimes you know the blackies, the uh, N word, the uh, all kind of stuff was happening all the time, and uh, I wasn't I wasn't a very aggressive uh, person. I'm not an aggressive person, but uh, but. Uh, I uh, one guy would say the N word all game long, and I, I would bump into him and fall on the ice, and I, I would help him up, and that's that's the way it was. But uh, being one of the top players, um, I always the words left and right, extra slash. I would go to tournaments. I could see people staring at me and pointing to me like I came from another planet, and maybe to them that's what it was, but. But uh, I had, I'm sure I got ton, tons of stories uh, what happened to me growing up. But, uh, you know, it's, it's part of my journey, I guess. It's never easy sharing these experiences, but uh, it's also important for listeners to sort of understand the uh, challenges people like you have gone through. Um, so so were were there other other black players you came across at all when you were playing as a young person or in junior, well, you, you recall? Just my brother, my brother. And then 
But before I went uh, junior, there was a black guy on my train camp. And it ended up being my uh, my line mate, uh, Hilton Ruggles. So that was the first time I saw another, well, I played with another uh, person of color beside my brother. But before that, I remember, like, even be, be, before being uh, drafted by uh, Laval, um, the Colise in Quebec, uh, where the Ramparts and the Nordiques played, was right across the street from my my school and sometimes we had free tickets to go watch some games and uh, I got to the rink uh, one one day and Quebec uh, the ramparts were playing and here 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 was a black guy uh, playing and it was um, Vol James and I said oh my god it's possible that there's a guy like Vol James that that is playing junior hockey and and um, so that was the first time that I really saw somebody what did that mean to you? Well, at the time, a lot. And then it just told me that hey, there's a possibility. But I was getting annoyed at every time I would go watch a game and people would say, hey, is that your brother? Is that your brother? Is that your brother? Nonstop. So I don't know. It doesn't look like me. How can he be my brother? <laughs> hmm. Yeah, it's very disappointing. Mm -hmm. So Lavelle... Let's jump to there then. Your numbers are very good. I, I see most of the seasons like, um, you know, 51 points, um, uh, 55 points, 126 points in 1982, uh, 46 goals, 80 assists. So phenomenal numbers. Um, and you touched on the fact that you were drafted the 11th round to Lavelle. Maybe you can tell us about your experience uh, leading up to that, that team. Yeah, but like I said, the... People saw me play for the first time in the provincial championship, so they didn't know much about me. Nobody have never seen me play. It's not like it is nowadays with the uh, uh, prospects or scouts or in stat uh, videos. Uh, so uh, I finally go to uh, to, uh, to 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 Laval, and our team they kept the captain, the goalie, and the defenseman. That's it. Everybody else was new, and we worked hard and. You know, when you're first, you come from a double A and the first year junior and you're, you're number one center and you were a winger growing up. So something wasn't uh, matching. And basically they were kind of wanted to tank it because uh, uh, Mario Lemieux was coming up to the midget level. So obviously we finished last. We drafted Mario and I went from uh, first center to second as soon as they named them so so mario so so then the, the adventure of mario started second year was uh better and the third year we had a good team so tell us about that experience because um most listeners should know that really amuse you know one of the greatest players to ever play in the nhl so you are on his team for a couple of years do you play on his line do you do yeah. you benefit from the attention of being on the same team as mario well <laughs> the thing is if you ask uh, Crosby and maybe McDavid or his linesmate uh, Junior, nobody could would, would be able to tell you. So we went from uh, my first year to maybe 800 fans a game in the 4,000, uh, 2,000 seat arena to about four, 45 to 5,000 people in the ring. And I swear to God, like two, two, uh, 2,000 of those were scouts. And, uh, and Mario couldn't be drafted for three years because of his age. But uh, he, we weren't playing on the same line, just on the power play and on the PK. 
And, uh, but watching him, I learned a lot because I wasn't a natural center. And in practice, uh, in during the practice, uh, practices, I was, I worked hard against him just to defend and I, uh, around about, uh, no, I uh, improved my game watching him and go hard against him. And we had a good power player uh, also. So the the power play, he played the power play was the same setup with Pittsburgh as it was with us. So. Hmm. Well, it's got to be uh, quite a memory, though, to sort of see something like that uh, grow mm -hmm. just, just before they joined the NHL. And then, as you said, fans home and away, I guess. There's probably quite a following through those years. Yeah, that's uh, really neat. So then, does Laval go on to win anything? Do they go to Memorial Cup? Well, they... well we uh, we had the best in the league. We finished first. We had the best record in Canada, I believe. And then, uh, so uh, we're um, uh, Pat Lafontaine played from uh, for the Montreal Junior, and they they finished second behind us, and. Um, we won the uh, first series and the second series, we were playing against an expansion team that surprised a lot of people. And uh, we couldn't do anything against them. They they were trapping us. And we used to have a good transition neutral zone. We just couldn't uh, couldn't do anything. And the coach, uh, the, the coach at that time was Jacques Lemaire. So you could see what just happened there. <laughs> they, he did the trap in the NHL and he started to do it that season there. Uh, that was kind of disappointment because everybody was expecting us to play in Montreal, the Crosstown rival, and uh, the Montreal Forum was sold out for the seven games. Uh, we before the the semi started, so we got upset. So uh, they ended up playing Longueuil uh, and not us. Okay, wow. So um, th that that's really quite a phenomenal Quebec. Uh phenomenal career you have um, in junior hockey that's for sure and is there any um, future NHL players you'd like to mention that um, you played against and then Pat Lafontaine uh, you mentioned Mary Lemieux anyone else on your team or anyone memorable well uh, you know um, that time the, well my team went guys like Bobby Dallas he had defenseman he played a lot of years in the NHL um, I when I I got drafted. I think I was on when I was drafted. Only I think seventeen players got drafted from the Quebec League. So uh, they didn't draft uh, that many players back then. So since so when I joined Team Canada, I played with some good players. And obviously, when I played, I played with the Devils. I played with all of fame like Stevens. Uh, the Russian came over with Slava Fetisov. Uh, Claude Lemieux, Stefan Richet, and when I was at the Flyers, I got to play with Eric Landros for a little bit. So, yeah, those are the good players I played with over the years. I That's right. Yeah, with Peter Stashny for a year. So, interesting though you say though that that change in Quebec players were not being drafted uh, very frequently. So the fact that you get drafted by Detroit, nineteen eighty-two. So so what happens then from Detroit draft, second uh, sixth round. One engine seventh overall, and then you land in Moncton, and then you end up in Olympic team. Want to tell us about that journey? Yeah, so that was another. That's first time I was ever cut, and so uh, I was at a Memorial Cup the year before, and then uh, uh, scouts from the Detroit were talking to me, and they thought that it would be perfect for a 
um, for Detroit because of the black community there and stuff like that. So I got drafted by Detroit. Uh, originally, I was supposed to be drafted in the first three rounds. Like uh, Buffalo was really interested in all those teams. So I got drafted by uh, Detroit. And uh, two weeks after the draft, they sold the franchise to uh, Mike Illich, uh, the pizza guy. And then uh, after that, they dropped all the draft picks. They only kept Murray Craven and they, draw, uh, they, draw, they um, uh, uh, traded him to the Flyers. And everybody else, it's like we were never drafted. And so I didn't know what to do. And the Rangers came, uh, the Detroit came back and they said, well, we could give you a, a tryout for Adirondack in the American League or a, or a contract in the Kalamazoo with 12000 a year. And my dad said, no, no, you're going back to school. You had your shot. And uh, the reason they dropped everything is because they had too many uh, players in the systems. They they had like two farm teams and way too many players. So they were cleaning house. So. If you're enjoying Recognize and thinking about starting your own hockey card collection, I'd suggest you start with eBay. eBay is all about connecting communities and fueling passions. Because of its thriving card collector community, I was able to make my dream come true by collecting the rookie cards of the NHL's black and biracial players. Start your own collection at ebay.ca slash hockey cards. So, uh, maybe wrong place, wrong time, eh? So, I mean, that's first time. Like, uh, I remember when uh, my agent here in uh, Montreal w- w- wasn't telling me anything. Everybody was getting their uh, their uh, flight information to go to camps and I wasn't getting anything. Finally, my my dad called the agent and obviously he told my agent. He, he, my agent told my dad and, and and then finally when I found out, I remember I couldn't breathe. I couldn't breathe. I was uh, that was that was so hard. I had the greatest summer after being drafted and and all of a sudden yeah. it's like nothing happened. Yeah. And did you did you attend that draft? Can you share with us how that uh, that experience was? Draft day? Yeah. So uh, there's a strike, and then uh, my agent, uh, my agent, the guy from well, my agent was Gus Vidali, but the the French, uh, the guy in charge of French guys. We uh, we took the train to Montreal, and we all sat together in the stairs. I remember sitting with uh, Scott Stevens, uh, and he got picked up one uh, second pick, I think. So I I tried to talk. I couldn't speak English back then. So, I, uh, but uh, I was nervous. I was supposed to go in the first three rounds, and then first I was nervous. After first, I was getting nervous. Uh, in the second, nothing. Third, and I was really getting nervous. And finally, I got picked up in the sixth round. So it was a pretty exciting moment. Yeah. Um... And uh, uh, your family and all everyone celebrated that moment, like a big, big moment for you. Yeah, that was, uh, again, my parents didn't understand the whole, <laughs> uh, the whole dynamic, but, uh, you know, everybody was proud. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to play in the NHL one day. I'm on the path. Sure. So um, you and I have a little bit in common, just the fact that I played one year of university hockey in, at uh, Waterloo in the late 80s. And, and then you play for Moncton. And then around that time, it there still were many a few cases of players who played CIS and then made it to the NHL. So I know you talked about your dad being influential, get your education. So did you go into that experience 
thinking this is it, you're going to get your education, that's it for your hockey career? Or were you looking at it as here's an opportunity to keep developing, you end up making it for the can team Canada afterwards? Can you well, elaborate? Um I um I remember when uh, um I found out I wasn't going there, I got invited to the training the summer camp for uh, uh, the Olympics for Sarajevo. And then I met John Perron at that time, and he mentioned to me uh, that uh, yeah, we need players in mountains, so I could send you, I could send you some information. So obviously, I got cut from that team, and then uh, what I saw uh, that team winning two national championships, and looks pretty excited. It's exciting. Uh, my captain, my junior captain, my first year was the captain of that team as well. So, so I knew somebody there, and uh, so I wanted to go there. And then uh, I thought going there, I might have a chance to move up again. And then I was right. So I got an invitation to national teams. I got different uh, NHL invites, but I, I stuck with the national team. You stayed committed to that because you sort of saw light at the end of the tunnel to make it to the Olympics, which well, is going to be in Olympics, Calgary that year. Way, uh, you travel the world uh, from Alaska Alaska uh, uh, to uh, Japan, Russia. We went all small towns, Canada, small town US, and all over Europe. So that was the greatest experience. I still got some uh, 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 plant points from those days. So, uh, but uh, I just wanted, and then from there, I got uh, offers from different uh, NHL teams and, okay. and I picked Vancouver. So, um I want to give an opportunity for you to talk about your experience at Moncton because you did talk about the positive experience you had with people on the East Coast. So what was special? What are some highlights of that entire experience for you? Um, you know what? I, uh, growing up, I wasn't sleeping a lot at night. Uh, maybe nowadays I, we could attribute that to anxiety, I suppose. But uh, when I got to Moncton, I felt, in, I, I felt I was in a good place. Uh, I was going to school. I knew I was working on a degree. I had some friends at school, the same friends on the hockey teams, and the fans were friends. So um, I, uh, I, I felt, I felt good there. And for the first time in many years, I was sleeping like a baby at night. Uh, I don't think uh, had nothing to do with the parties, university parties. But <laughs> but I felt, you know, when you feel, feel like protected and uh, you, you feel you're accomplish, accomplishing something and. And then, yeah, if, uh, that was a great time. And the people are unbelievable down there. So then um, a pretty special experience, traveling the world, Team Canada, and then making it to the Olympics. And and from all accounts, you have been the second Black player to play in Olympics uh, behind Darren Lowe, played in 1984. So let, let's, um, can you break down the Olympic experience for us? Yeah, well, that's spent two years. I remember, like, I was in a trial. Uh, that was the, the year that the pros, the pros might be uh, able to play. And but I was for the full. Um, I think after the uh, after that year, I was on the tryouts. Uh, most of the other guys were minor leaguers, uh, pros sent by their club. So uh, I was basically the uh, the, I think one of the only amateurs. And everywhere we went, we picked up players to try out. So I think that year I played with 100 different players. So the first one that I first got there, uh, I, I made the cut. I made the cut to uh, 
to go on a trip to uh, Kiev and uh, Moscow, Germany, and Sweden, I believe. And then we had a tour there. And uh, that was a good experience. I played well. And then uh, when I came back, I was supposed to go to Winnipeg uh, training camp. Uh, and I got invited by John Ferguson. And then <clears throat> we were in Germany on the way back. Uh, and uh, Dave King said, well, you know, like I got a call for John Ferguson and uh, they're expecting you at camp. And then, and then if you go there, you lose your opportunity to play in the Olympics. And, and uh, so you need to make a decision. So uh, I was focused on the Olympics. So I thought I would say I'll, I'll stick with the national team, but I was still in the tryouts. And that, that was a gamble, but uh, uh, Winnipeg was pretty upset and uh, they were expecting me. And then, and then finally uh, I, I played by, by Christmas, I signed uh, a contract through the Olympics. And that's with Vancouver. Um, it seems to be a short stay in Vancouver. And then, then uh, what happens from Vancouver to New Jersey next? Well, uh, the, well, uh, uh, Brian Burke and uh, Pat Queen, uh, saw me and uh, they want to sign me right away and uh, New Jersey wanted to sign me Winnipeg still the Rangers uh, uh, Vancouver and Minnesota Lou and Annie and Herb Brooks were pushing hard and then uh, 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 Vancouver flew me to uh, Vancouver put me up to Western Bay Shore golf fish and uh, beautiful weather and then I signed on the back of the Mercedes of uh, Pat Quinn. But the one thing uh, the uh, was different than the other teams that Vancouver didn't have a coach yet. And then when they hired the coach there, uh, by the time I got there, he didn't want to have nothing to do with me. You know, when it's your first NHL game, uh, right after the Olympics, you go there and then uh, you uh, you practice, you get one practice, he never talks to you. We don't know if you have a line. The next day, you got a pregame pre skate, and he still doesn't talk to you. And then you do the warm-up. You're not even sure you play or you're not playing. And he comes in after warm-up, he asks me what position do I play. So I, said, I find that odd. First shift, uh, come back on the bench. He says, hey, Vilgrain, you're not playing against Finland. And I thought that was weird. Second shift, I go on a break where he scored my first NHL goal against Ron Exel. I'm thinking I'm going to be uh, NHL forever. And third, fourth, fifth shift, he's all over me, come descending and stuff like that. So played six games, seems over, and I came back in top shape the next year. I wanted to prove him that I could play, but they sent me on the loan to uh, New Jersey and finally got traded there. Mm. So... Uh... Unfortunate circumstances that you mentioned in terms of the changeover of a coach and what you thought yeah. you were signing on to, yeah, right? Yeah. And yeah, so things get more positive then for your New Jersey experience. Well, about New Jersey, I was doing well. The farm team, I was doing very well, uh, and then but they had too many guys on one way contracts. So they kept telling me, "Be patient, be patient." I would get called up and play on play on the top lines, and then. Then again, set back right away. It was frustrating. Finally, I made it. I made it because uh, they were weak on the left side. I was right at the shot, and then they had Richet, McLean, told Lemieux, like, there's no room for me there. So, uh, actually, I, I wanted to go. 
I asked Lou if I could get out of my contract to go play in Europe. And he said, yeah, give me a couple of weeks and then we'll do something. And he went dark on me. And all, all of a sudden, I got the letter to go to camp. And uh, I played all nine games on, on the left wing. They were trying me on the left wing. I could play one day with Team A in Boston, in Boston, and then take the, the owners a private jet and fly to San Diego, meet Team B, and I think I finished first quarter in the uh, in the in the exhibition games. I guess I played nine games. I helps, but uh, finally they told me uh, I was staying, and I thought, oh my god, that was unbelievable. And they started the season with Peter Stashney and Claude Amir in the same line, so. That was um, the 1991 season for New Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. So Pierre Stashney called them you. Things are looking good. Your statistics are fairly amazing for a first year player. Um, it appears 46 points in 71 games. And then, then what happens? <laughs> this is always what happened then. Eh? And that's funny that my life goes. It's always when. Uh, I'm in a good position to uh, take the next step and next contract. And then just before the playoffs, uh, I, I had a bad hernia. So I played through the playoffs with the hernia. And at the end of the year, the season, I got a, 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 a surgery done. And uh, didn't uh, they had all kind of a problem with surgery because uh, I waited so long for the surgery that there's a bunch of a scar tissue is caught in a bowel or something. So uh, 30 minutes uh, surgery, was supposed to, it lasted two hours. And I couldn't train. I, I couldn't run. I couldn't ride a bike. I couldn't do a lot. Of, I couldn't do a lot of things in the summer. So I was in the top shape and still it, it was bugging me. And then, and then uh, finally, uh, and I was taking the team to arbitration on top of that. So double whammy. So send me in the minors, send me everywhere, different minor league teams. And and uh, yeah, so did the arbitration didn't go my way. And then the rest was history. So, um, so you end up, um, I guess, recovering from that injury. And then um, you, you, you move on, you have another stint with uh, Philadelphia Flyers, 1993. And then, and then uh, you're playing Europe. Um, so do you attribute the rest of your career to the bad timing of what went on with the, with your injury in 92 or? Yeah, well, one of the reasons, like, uh, so I went to, to arbitration and then, uh, and then at the end of it, uh, New Jersey bought me out and I signed as a free agent with the Flyers and the coach to the Flyers uh, was the same type of coach as the one in Vancouver. So it wasn't going to work. And then uh, my agent goes, okay, cool. it's time, it's time to go to Europe. So I had a tough time finding a job in Europe because uh, that was a '94 lockout, and uh, that's when the NHL guys would go to Europe. So all the the different spots were taken by uh, NHL players, waiting to see uh, when the lockout was going to be over. And then I found that little town, fourteen thousand people. Um, they couldn't afford a lot, but uh, we thought let's go put our feet in that uh, in, in Switzerland and then build something from there. But that team had a, they they took a long time to sign me. That was me between me and an East Coast League player. 
and my agent couldn't understand uh, why uh, why uh, they wouldn't want to sign me. And uh, anyway, I played the three years there. Uh, we uh, we won a league championship that was the biggest upset in Swiss hockey history. Anyway, move forward like uh, ten years later, whatever. So I'm in Calgary, and the manager comes in and visit. He's he was a good friend with a uh, Swiss goalie for the Flames. So we went for lunch and stuff like that. And they tell me, hey, Claude, you're the best import ever. Uh, you played well for us. Uh, you did everything, advice for us, and everybody loved you. And it's a place that nobody would talk to me. Uh, for three years until we won a championship, uh, some people, uh, I didn't know they spoke French or English, uh, uh, you know, from the, the grocery clerk to the, my banker. And so they, they were sad that I was going to play in Germany. So... Anyway, I, I tell him, well, if you like me so much, how come it took you so long to um, to sign me? And he said to me, you know what? The, we we thought you were the best for us, but the problem was we had to make sure the uh, uh, the the fans were okay with having a black player on the team and the uh, the sponsors and everything. So uh, over in Switzerland, they they do a referendum for everything uh, for everything. And the referendum said 52% to 47 said, okay, that they got a black player playing. So, so this is, uh, yeah, very disappointing to hear. And this is 1994 in Switzerland. Is that the SC team? SC team, yeah. So I went back for the 75th anniversary and then I still got good friends like that over there. And then. You know, the thing is, like, a lot of things happened to me. Uh, being a black uh, hockey player or black man, a black person, it's not that easy, especially in Europe, you know. Uh, bananas thrown at me and things like that. But uh, this is this uh, this is a, this, this was my journey, my dreams to play in the NHL. And the day I decided I wanted to be a hockey player, no matter what, is... My first year junior, uh, I was excited. Uh, I was 17 years old. We're playing Montreal for the first game, and half the half on one side, the Montreal fans, and Laval the other side. I jump on the ice, the home, the home crowd cheering, cross over to the side of Montreal, and the monkey sound, the boonga boonga, go back to Africa, taxi, taxi. I guess there's a lot of Asian taxi uh, drivers in Montreal, and I, I I couldn't skate close to the board. I would never be on the board for a face-off on that side. And every time I went by it, they they was constant, and I had the worst game of my life. And when I went back to my billet uh, place, I sat in the corner of my room in the dark all night, staring at the wall, and trying to breathe and. And then uh, by 12 o'clock the noon the next day, I told myself, if you want to be a hockey player, you have to go through this. You have to go through this uh, through life as well. So those things never bugged, bothered me afterwards. Yeah, there's so many things you had to um, to block out, unfortunately, and stay um, persistent and persevere in terms of your goal. Um, and and certainly there's still issues like that, uh, unfortunately, um, hopefully not to the same extent uh, today. But, you know, looking back, you, one might have wondered, like, um, where was the league defending you? Where was the 
coach where it was the team. It was always just up to Claude Vilgrain to. Exactly. Uh, coaches, when something would happen, the coaches or teammates would say, uh, suck it up, Claude. He's an idiot. He's, a, you know, things like that. So, you know, you know, if I would get mad on the ice, sometimes I would, I would get really mad and I would fight. And right away, all the mics were in my stall around asking me questions, what happened, what happened, because they knew I was a mild-mannered type of player. And then, uh, yeah, so. Yeah. So going back to the New Jersey days, and, and you're a, um, you know, a Black Canadian playing, do you have some um, stories to tell in terms of the, the positive impact you were aware of in terms of uh, uh racialized or other people of color who looked up to you in, in that journey or the AHL or Europe? Do you have any uh, yeah. experiences here? Yeah, that's, I could say, okay, you, re, you know, as any, as any NHL or hockey players that dreamt to play in the NHL or their pros were so focused on their career. And then you don't know who's out there. Like I said, there's no TSN, there's no, uh, no TSN, no, uh, you know, way to find out who's playing where and stuff like that. So uh, the the first time I realized that the impact I was having was uh, towards the end of my career, uh, one game in uh, Switzerland, I was uh, uh, at a home game and the reporter wanted to mic me up to see how uh, you see my leadership when I speak German or some of German players, English or French. So we played that game and then that um, that didn't work. And then uh, so two games later, we go to a place that I used to play against and had all kind of issues. Um, and then uh, the, after the warm up, the reporter came in with a mic and I thought, mm, maybe it's not the right place for that. Anyway, so put the mic on and I step on the ice and there was a big blow up banana with my name on it from blue line to blue line. So oh, it's not going to be good. And we won the game and the fans were all over me. And, and next morning I woke up and I was all in the P, uh, newspapers in Europe. And then uh, uh, from that moment there, um, uh, after every game I played, there's a mom or coming with her kid, a little black kid or interracial kid, or adopted kid, and they wanted to meet me because uh, they thought I was brave. And their kids, since they're novice, they got all kind of problems. And 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 one of my teammate was an adopted black kid as well. He's been with this organization forever, and he said he said to me, nobody ever stood up for us. And I was kind of shocked when he said that. And then. Uh, and then, the, and then later that year, we, uh, I, I got called to play for the Spangler Cup. And then we had two college kids on that team. And Martin Saint Louis was one of those guys, and uh, and Jamal Meyer, and Myers. So I was doing my sticks, and then Jamal came beside me, and he's watching me. He said, "Close you." Back at college, me and the boys, you know, like when you're playing, we would get some pops. Get, get in front of TV and watching a guy like us play, and I was kind of shocked. I didn't, uh, I didn't realize at all that uh, I had a certain impact, and and was retiring that year. So uh, I came back to Calgary, and that's when I think uh, Jerome 
got traded to Montreal. And I was so curious to see Jerome play. So I bought some tickets and I was sitting there and I watched him score the, a goal. And then, and I said, oh my God, another kid in the NHL, another one. So there's more and more, I thought. And then, and then later on, uh, you you hear that I was one of the guys that they looked up to him and Grand Fuhrer and and then uh, I and and then more and more every year I I run into people I, I'm on the BIPOC coaching association it's a it's a networking for uh, BIPOC coaches and every time there's there's always somebody tells me oh you're my idol or I looked up to you and so, uh, and I I was kind of overwhelmed it was kind of surreal. It's got a um, nothing can you know, replace or remove the uh, harm and uh, pain you went through those years, but it's, it's, it's got to feel good reciprocal that, uh, you know, that your efforts were not got, uh, left without uh, yeah, so you know, the, yeah. what, what you're hearing today. So for me, you know, I, I'm part of the generation, a group uh, from Willie Ori to the PK Subans of the world that, that nobody really talked about. Um, we uh, we went through a career. Uh, we looked the other way because no point uh, uh, fighting it. And then, uh, but now I see some of those guys playing, and I'm pretty proud. And and then I do a lot of stuff with diversity just because I still get calls from parents that want me to talk to their kids because they had all kind of problems with either a dad in the penalty box doing the clock, calling him uh, monkey words or things like that. And and then it wanted me to speak to different kids. So uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a lot around the ranks in Calgary. And I'm, uh, on every team, I see a little black kids playing. And I, and I look at him, and it's, it's a little Clody, a little me. Uh, it's the same thing. I got friends on the team warming up and playing. So uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I use my the, my platform to make sure to send uh, to uh, – Make sure that people understand what those little kids or people like myself went through. And, and uh, yeah. So, so we've realized there's quite a positive network of um, former black players. So you mentioned a few. Are there any other players you sort of keep in touch with, either former or current players that are playing in the NHL? Yeah, well, there, there are guys like uh, Graham Townsend, uh, Grant Fuhrer. Sometimes I see him here and there. Uh, um, uh, Darren Banks. So the guys from my era a little bit, uh, Paul Gerard that uh, just died. Uh, uh, but yeah, he was in Calgary for a while. We had lot, lots of talks, and uh, so some of those players. And I talked to Jerome once in a while, and uh, it's quite a bond, right? Because you just uh, just naturally uh, relate to the experiences. Well, you know, I keep, yeah, you can walk in a room, and it happens often. And there could be some hockey players there in the you know a wedding, whatever. And uh, again, I introduce myself, and they look at me like, okay, yeah, nice meeting you. And they look the other way, and and when they find out you play hockey, all of a sudden the ice is broken, and then it's a different conversation, you know. Because you gotta admit, like sometimes when people know you're a hockey player, then all the questions and the thing is nonstop, and you know sometimes you need your privacy, but sometimes I don't mind and. Uh, but uh, you know, I that was my career. I don't announce myself as a hockey player right away, and I just I just live my life. Yeah, 
I just think that's pretty special for the um, relationships you connected with. Um, it can be quite an isolating experience being one of the only a play at time, but, uh, but having those relationships with some who came before you and after you, it's, um, it's really unique. So maybe you can just uh, highlight for us. I know you're doing some wonderful things um, after your career. How did you transition? I guess the last pro year you played was 2001 and two. So what did you do after that? And what are you doing now? Um, so I remember 2001, I decided to retire. And then I, I didn't know what to do. Like I'm in Calgary and I thought I, I want to do something in marketing. And, you know, there's a newspaper, um, a, a newspaper, uh, uh, sorry, local newspaper. And I, and I looked, there was five ads for work, like in, in the oil industries. And I didn't know nothing about the oil industries. So what am I going to do? And then finally, uh, I called the PHPA and then the, they have a new program called Life After Hockey Program. And so I was part of the eight uh, guys in a pilot project. Basically, I was going downtown and a career transition company. I would, uh, you know, go down my suit and then uh, do workshop, work on my resume and tease, help me for the transition and call on different companies. And finally, I got a job in sales with, uh, I got hired by a, a company in Calgary. And uh, and then I was just, just needed to finish my degree uh, business management and then bang, 9-11 happened and then nobody was doing anything. So uh, the lady in charge of me, she said that uh, um, she knows somebody that uh, that needs an agent in Southern Alberta. He could do that for now, just for the transition. He uh, They sell playgrounds equipment. He said playground, like Costco playground, I thought. And then I talked to the guy for an hour and I thought, well, we're kind of out of my house. I thought I'll do that. And then um, I, it was kind of, that was a kind of a little culture shock for me because it, it was not just selling playgrounds. You, you had to learn how to design, use AutoCAD and deal with architects and builders and school boards. And it was kind of overwhelming at the start, but I figured it out that I have been, I, I, I did that for 20, uh, 21 years. And the last eight, eight, nine years, I've been on my own. You know, you know the industry. And and by being on my own, I was able to um, uh, do what I like the most is doing hockey skills development uh, and also coaching some AAA uh, U18 teams. Well, this has really come back full circle. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I read your daughter has had a lot of success in hockey. She played uh, in Maine, I believe. So, oh, in UNH. Uh, UNH. But, uh, yeah, New Hampshire. Okay. Yeah. So again, that that's great uh, for her to look up to you. And maybe you can just share that experience, how oh, that yeah. went. Uh... I'm very proud of her. And then she used to say, Daddy, did you wish I was a boy? So I could have been the NHL now. <laughs> but uh, she um, she did well. Uh, and she ended up playing as a pro in uh, Sweden one year. Uh, she wanted to come back and play here, but the league folded, the women's league folded. And she worked with a company for a couple of years, an IT company, and communication. And now she uh, she ended up uh, she ended up uh, for the last two years. She now she's working for the uh, uh, the Hitman, uh, basically the, for the Calgary Flames organizations. Oh, junior, yeah. And then so she does communication, social media, and uh, 
she runs the uh, uh, Itman TV, is doing shows, uh, features, interviews. So she's doing very good. Oh, that's really exciting. Yeah. So you have a lot to um, offer and share, and you're continuing to do that right now. And hopefully you'll be able to um, uh, influence many others in the game. And you were the 14th Black player to step on the NHL. You alluded it to before that some of the challenges student, uh, young people face in the game not feeling safe or as inclusive. Do you have any um, any suggestions in terms of what has to happen in uh, A, for the league to become continue to hopefully become more diverse, NHL, but even at the grassroots level, like we, 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 we hope we are getting to a place where it's not just people of color who are taking actions. And, you know, one of the other players before said, you know, the racism for a hockey player shouldn't just be a, a me problem. It should be a we problem. Yeah. So any thoughts you have to share in terms of what, what should change? But I know the NHL is trying to do things, but, uh, you know, so. Uh, they, they don't exactly know how and one of the biggest things for me is like I know there's a lot of things uh, been happening and I think the conversation should be more than just in every February and then wait for another 11 months uh, we we should talk about it all the time uh, BIPOC communities there's uh, there are kids that uh, from different ethnicity or genders or uh, they they have they have they have the same dreams that I had. So uh, it's just uh, educate people. For me, it's the main thing: education and uh, make people aware. And like I said, like for example, uh, uh, Black History Month is a good initiative, but has to be throughout all all year long. Just not everybody does the little things. And in February, like in Vancouver, I went to drop a puck, and then I don't hear anything for another eleven months. So until next February. And then I got all the calls also, but. So are you seeing change at your level though? Cause you're involved in grassroots coaching midget. Are you noticing some changes for the good oh, yeah. at your level? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You, you see it, you know, there's a, uh, all kind of new regulation regulations and, uh, you know, maltreatments, uh, new rulings, uh, that's happening right now. So there, there's no more three strikes is, and then and people are more careful and then you know it's the new generation is going to be used to this more respectful and then more understanding and uh, that's why you make sure like we keep educating them so yeah and you talked about how you sort of fell into the game which isn't uncommon but that doesn't happen all the time so um, hopefully again maybe at the grassroots level there's more intentional ways to uh, explain the game and make it more inviting because other sports, the door seems to be open to uh, for participation in greater numbers. I know cost is an intersection that can be a challenge for hockey as well. And um, that that's one thing too. And I don't know if you can comment on any, no, any changes you're noticing again to remove barriers. Well, like I said, experience. there's a lot of things like uh, different organizations, different leagues, uh, associations, they changed the rule. Like uh, I was on a on a panel of hockey Alberta, and they got a new maltreatment uh, uh, um, um, regulation, or I forgot. <laughs> anyway, and, and they are uh, they they're putting a mechanism to protect people. You know, so that's the changes people are talking about. They're trying to do things, and uh, and uh, that's the beginning. But there's a long way to go. Yeah. Okay. 
So I was just going to wrap up. Just as just just a general question. Just uh, we ask all the uh, players who've been on. Just what advice would you give to young hockey players today? Yeah, if you have a dream, like my dad said, like work hard, you know, and then never give a chance to anybody to uh, tell you you can't do it, and and always make sure uh, you you give you hundred percent, and uh, you're passionate about what you do, and that you're very respectable. And then, uh, you know, uh, you know, bring something to the table and, and then things will go well. So there are good people in the world. There's always sometimes some people in charge, not so good. So you don't take any chances, just love the game, be a good, uh, good teammate, a good person. And then, and then, yeah, things will go well. Well, Claude, I really want to thank you for, um, having you on the podcast here um you had a successful uh, minor hockey career junior hockey career university you played in the nhl you played an olympic team i i really hope uh, stories like yours are better known by many people you were a complete trailblazer and quite an influence uh, player um in terms of what uh, people of color and black players have to look up to today and i i hope you continue to uh to spread your influence and the work that you're doing right now. It's really, really great to see. So yeah, thank you once again. And yeah, no, thanks for having me. Uh, Like I said, if I could help out and uh, spread the word. So um, I'm all for that. We're proud to be working with hockey equality. Hockey equality is on a mission to create diversity at all levels of the game of hockey by lowering financial barriers, for BIPOC female and other equity deserving youth hockey players. If you've been moved by the stories shared on this podcast and want to help make hockey accessible to all, check out hockeyequality.org. If you've enjoyed this podcast and would like to share this story with your kids, then check out My Hockey Hero. It's shorter and suitable for the whole family. You can click the link in the show notes or find it wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a Podstarter production. production.